0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. We thank you that uh, the gospel is always good news to those who believe that there's never a moment when it becomes anything other than good news for us. And so I pray, Father, as I speak today about prayer, that you would encourage us and inspire us, and you would cause us to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll remember that we we have this vision wheel as a church, which... Toby has kind of, well, he's done his Toby thing on it. Well done, Toby. Um, and so, it, so we, we kind of have this, this, this uh, idea that each part of the year is a phase in our life. And this, this term, we've been looking at building the church and foundations. And next term, we're looking at glorifying Jesus and growing in our faith. And this morning, as part of that series, I'm going to talk about prayer developing a lifestyle and a culture of prayer. Um, I pray. I've got to be honest, I do, and some of you know that, and you think, oh, you're always talking about that, you pray. No, we know you pray. Okay, yeah, I pray. And then a couple of years ago, I was almost really thinking of myself, I pray, I do okay. And then Phil gave me a book for Christmas. And the book was maybe, um, the, the one book Phil gave me was, was, was kind of like this thick. Yeah? And it was the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. And I remember holding my head down because obviously I had got myself a little bit, I, I pray, and I thought, oh dear. I thought I prayed until I got this book. And I realized when I got that book that God was saying, Owen, oh, you do not pray yet. Yeah? There is more to know about prayer. So I worked through Bounds. Yeah? Day after day, I worked through uh, bounds and so I want to talk about and develop in a lifestyle of prayer and a culture of prayer in our church I would love you to have prayer as part of your lifestyle that it isn't something that you just do occasionally here and there but part of what you do in the same way you get up and you eat and you read the paper whatever it is you do you'll pray That'll be part of it. It won't be an incidental thing that kind of you do. Oh yeah, you know, when I'm walking along the street, sometimes me and God be talking. No, no, not incidental. It's part of how you are is you pray. That's what I want to encourage through this morning and through this uh, series of foundations. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at why we pray. Really simple. We're going to look at a theology of prayer again it's very simple a couple of examples of prayer and then we're going to pray together for 15 minutes yeah and then we might finish with a song but we're going to pray together for 15 minutes which doesn't sound very long but when we're all praying together for 15 minutes it will appear long yeah but we're going to do it and we're going to grow our muscles in prayer so why pray I could give you a million reasons. Many of you would have been on the Alpha course and they do very uh, specific reasons as to why we pray and all of that is true. But why do we pray today? Because the need is so great. The need for us to pray is massive. I was at a meeting this week with I don't quite know why I was there but it was senior church leaders from right across London. These guys were leading massive churches or movements together um, movements. and we had come together to talk about praying for the city of London. Church leaders who differ on their theology, their philosophy and just about everything else agree on this. We need to pray. We need to pray for our city. We need to pray for young people. We need to pray for the poor, the vulnerable, the disadvantaged. More than ever before, we need to pray. We do need to pray. The agenda was driven by these kind of things. The agenda was driven by the the problems that we have in our world. One of them talked about um, an occasion where last, I think it was last Monday, he attended a nine-night because a young lad had been stabbed to death in Croydon and he had gone with the family and he was just there with them and they were praying. Gangs and guns and knife crime, acid attacks, terrorism, Grenfell Tower impact of austerity on our nation the housing crisis there is a great need for us to pray there is a great need but if we're honest we still struggle to pray and we still struggle to pray about those things we don't necessarily think of things as desperate as they are I remember just a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, we had a prayer meeting <laughs> when Ben was very ill. We came together and it was a well-attended prayer meeting. We were desperate to pray. We were desperate. Last week we had a prayer meeting where maybe there weren't so many of us. We hadn't come with the same, maybe, desperation. And, and I wondered, is it because we've lost faith in prayer or is it because we're just not as desperate? Today, I want us to be encouraged to keep on praying because the need is desperate. It's not just, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. No, the need is desperate and God hears our prayers. So why do we struggle to pray? Because we do. Part of it will be this, human pride and resourcefulness. We are caught up in our own abilities, our own lives. Human solutions can appear immediately impactful. So if you've got something that works, you kind of think, well, you know, I'm doing something. But often they're limited in their effect. Many solutions that people put forward to to meet the needs of our day are ill informed politically motivated, or introduced because it's the right thing to do, or really motivated by our own brokenness. That's why we kind of put things forward sometimes. It's well known that one of the main reasons people access food banks is because of benefit delays. That's one of the main reasons. Do you know what? We knew that reason five years ago. And it is still one of the main reasons people access food banks. So within those five years, whatever else has been done, we have not been able to solve one of the most avoidable reasons for people coming. All we do is we just work harder at signposting them to different places. But one of the reasons, main reasons they come, is because of benefit delay. Surely we could solve that one. That's not even like an obvious sin. Surely it's something that we could do something about. So we struggle to pray because we're very resourceful, we're doing stuff. We also struggle to pay, pray sometimes, if I'm honest, because our positive attitude sometimes hides the reality. Because we can be very positive about things our temptation is to be overly positive to have a positive attitude about the world we tell ourselves the world is working we tell ourselves we want to see the good in everyone so if that's true if the world is working and we want to see the good in everyone why would we pray why would prayer ever be something i was desperate about if actually there's no real reason to be desperate why would i do it Our belief in sin separating us from God and leading to judgment, death and hell, it's a theology that no doubt all of us would would believe in, but sometimes you wonder whether it has any place in the world. And that providing I can make people's lives a bit better, we're okay. When actually their need isn't for being better, their need is for salvation. Their need is for Jesus. Jesus. It's not that I would even help them with the benefit delay. It's that they would see Jesus. And when they're not seeing Jesus, surely that should make me desperate because that is the thing that really counts. I read the other day that there was a survey in the UK that said we are happier now than we've been in a long time. I couldn't, I couldn't find it again, and I wonder whether I just made that up. Anyway, I thought I read that somewhere. We're happier now than we've been in a long time. And I thought, how can we be happier? Terror threats are, the reality of terror threats is more than ever before in my lifetime. The fact that you could walk along the streets and something could happen to you. Someone could throw something at you. Something could, someone could drive a car. Something like that could happen to you. It's more real now than ever before. Young people being killed on our streets, it's more now than ever before. More people are accessing food banks than they ever before. How does that make me happy? Debt continues to rise. It looks like we're going to get a poor deal from Brexit. It has a massive impact on our lives, and yet for some of us there's this underlying thing, this underlying cultural value which basically says, always look on the bright side of life. Do you know what? That is not Christian. That is cultural, but it is not Christian to always look on the bright side of life, because when you always look on the bright side of life, you never feel desperate enough to really pray. Because you're always thinking about the positive, oh well, yeah, it's difficult, but there are all these other positive things. No, when you're desperate, when you're desperate, when you realise there is no hope outside of God, where do you go? You can only go to God. But when you think that you can find other ways of making things work, or you can, you can sort of blind yourself to the world, then you'll never be desperate enough. To pray, And my passion here is that we would become desperate enough to pray. That we would recognise prayer is the number one thing for the Christian. It's to pray. If you pray about what's going on in the world, you won't have time to worry about it. If you pray about what's going on in the world first... You give God time to plant solutions in your mind. So what then is a brief theology or foundation for prayer? Prayer is the primary means of communication with, and hear it, a loving God. So there is no question here that God is not loving yeah it is sin that destroys the world, it's not God that destroys the world, sin destroys the world, and when we pray, we pray to a loving God. Yeah we pray to a powerful God. Prayer is natural. it's human, and actually it's easy to do. It is easy to do. In, can anyone tell me I don't know where this is it coming? no it hasn't come up. so can anyone tell me a little trivia here, that where in the Bible is the first occasion it talks about prayer and people praying. Does anyone know? Now, I only know this because I once read it and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Does anyone know, Toby? Oh, no, no, you can't say because you've just read my. Does anyone, anyone want to hazard a guess? Okay, Martin. Uh, no giving thanks obviously counts, um, but it wasn't the first occasion. Uh, so Martin again. It's, this feels like University Challenge, yeah. And Martin's from Cambridge, and so he's like, yeah, okay. No, but that's a good guess. Anyone else know? So you're very close. Cain and Abel. Okay. Okay. So the first occasion, nearly. Yeah. No. Go right. The first occasion is in Genesis chapter 4 and it's around about the time of Adam's third son, Seth. And it says this right at the end of Genesis chapter 4. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So before there was ever talk of faith, before there was ever talk of the church, before there was ever talk of miracles and healings, before there was ever talk of almost anything, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Prayer is natural. Prayer in that sense is easy. It's human. There is something in us from the very beginning, even after the fall, to call above all our problems to God. It's natural. It's not, it's not something that happens because you become Christian. Yeah? You don't need to be a Christian to pray. When you're a Christian, you're, you're fortunate enough to understand who you're praying to, and then you pray differently. When you realize that God is your Father, you pray very differently than when you think God is just out there as a powerful being. Very differently. Yeah? When we approach God, we approach Him as Father. Yeah. So you're bolder in your requests. You're more personal in your requests as you would be to a father. Father, I need this. If you don't know God is a father, if you don't know God is gracious and kind, you're going to respond very, very differently. But we don't have to do that. Prayer is natural. But prayer is also supernatural. When Abraham prays for Sodom and Gomorrah, he moves the God of heaven To act. Now that is quite a supernatural thing to do. He moves the God of heaven to act. This is what it says about Abraham. Then Abraham drew near. So when you pray, part of what you're doing is you're drawing near to God. Yeah, and we can do that because of what Jesus has done. We can draw near, we can come to him with boldness. Abraham drew near and he says to God, "Yeah." and sometimes we need to approach God like this, he's reverent, he's humble and he's respectful. He says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Well, just just bet, will you do that, God? Suppose there are 50 righteous Within the city, will you sweep them all away? Far be it from you, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So he approaches God in a very reverent, respectful way. And he says, God, will you do that? Is that really in line with who you are? And often, that is one of the ways that we come to pray. Recognising who he is, what he does. God, is that really in line with you? And then at the end, when he gets down, he works his way down from 50 righteous souls down to 10 righteous souls. He says this, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again. So there's this reverence with coming to God, but this once. Suppose, O God, suppose ten are found who are righteous. For the sake of ten, God replies, I will not destroy it. So that should be a massive encouragement to us. First of all, because Abraham was able to draw near to God. And secondly, because God was hearing his prayers. He was here in his prayers. He was not casual or careless, but courageous and confident. And he approached God with deep humility and respect. Whatever else has happened since Abraham to today and Jesus has come and grace, that hasn't changed. You approaching God with reverence and respect and humility, that's still the way to approach him. That's still the way to approach it. So prayer is natural and prayer is supernatural. Prayer is also universal. Isaiah 56 says this, Make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That's nestled in Isaiah. At that point, there's just one people. It's Israel. Yet nestled in that is this promise that God's house will be a house of prayer for all peoples. Why? Because Genesis 4 tells us that prayer is the most natural thing for people to do. You do not need to be a Christian of many years standing or of a certain amount of knowledge to pray. And one of the things I love in our worship time when people are praying out who've not been Christians for very long. They're praying out. You don't need to be a degree to be able to pray out. Yeah, you don't need to have got it all right. You don't need to know everything. But it's wonderful when you hear Christians who have not been Christians very long praying out, and Christians who have been long, uh, been Christians for a long time praying out. Why? Because you always need to pray. The Christian never, you never um, graduate from prayer. Well, you know, I've got to that point where the way God and I communicate, I don't quite pray to Him. No, oh, you always pray. God loves to hear us pray and he wants us to approach him and he wants us to keep going even when maybe your prayer hasn't been answered. Don't give up. Yeah, you know, if some of you if, you, if you applied for a job, if I went round this room and I said, how many of you have applied for a job and have been rejected? Some of you say, oh yeah, do you know, I've applied for many jobs and I've been rejected. Imagine if you stopped applying. Why did you keep applying for jobs? Because you know that you needed to work in order to earn money, in order to be able to live. Yeah, that's why you do it. There comes a point, and you know that you would get to this point, that you would be desperate. So you will apply for the next job, even though you've been rejected by the last job. And the last job, and the last job, and the last job. job. You go, no, I need to keep applying because I need to be able to get a job in order to earn some money, in order to be able to live. Yeah? We need to approach God in a similar way. What you don't do when you apply for a job and you don't get it, is you don't sit back and go, right, why did I not get that job? You ask that question, but you know what? If you go too deep into that, it, it never helps you. You know, and you write down, let's say, I write down all the reasons I didn't get that job, I didn't get the next job, I write down all the... You, you don't do that. You just go, oh my goodness, it, it, it hurts, it's painful, it's difficult, but I'm going to go again. Do you know what? That's how we must be about prayer. You need to go again. You need to go again. Yeah, You need to keep going. We learn so much through the process. So here are some examples that I just want to really read of powerful prayers. How many of you have ever heard about the prayer revival of 1857? Okay, so one person at the back. So good, this will all be news to you. The years leading up to 1857 were characterised by tremendous economic growth and prosperity in the United States. There was a population boom and many people were becoming wealthy. The focus of many was on this world, and as a result, there was a deep decline in spiritual life. Materialism had become a pervasive force throughout the land. Young people were growing up without God, and many were captivated by the love of money. Churches suffered serious decline in attendance. So isn't that interesting? This is nearly 200 years ago, but this could be described in our world. The population growth of New York City began to force the wealthy residents out of the downtown area where they were replaced by unchurched masses of working-class labourers. Many churches moved out of the city to accommodate their members, but in contrast to these churches, the North Dutch Reformed Church of Manhattan decided to stay and reach out to the lost masses of people who surrounded them. To accomplish this, the congregation employed a 48-year-old businessman, Jeremy Lamphea, as missionary to the inner city. Moved by the spiritual plight of the lost masses, he had given up his business to devote himself to inner city evangelism work. He began to visit homes, distribute Bibles and tracts, and advertise church services. Facing discouraging responses, he found comfort in personal prayer and sensed God's guidance to begin a weekly prayer service at noon for workers and business people to call upon God and to pray for a spiritual awakening. Shortly before noon, on Wednesday, September the 23rd, 1857, Lanthea opened the doors of the Dutch Reformed Church of Manhattan. He waited in the upper room. Nobody came. Until around 12.30 he heard the footsteps of a man climbing the stairs. A few minutes after that more came until a total of six men representing five different denominations had joined him to pray. The next Wednesday between 14 and 20 were in attendance. The third week the prayer meeting was attended by between 30 and 40 men. The meetings were so encouraging that it was decided that they should meet daily. The next day attendance increased again. Soon they filled the church building. The agenda was simple. They prayed for the salvation of souls. There was communal singing and edifying exhortations were presented. There were no discussions and those in attendance prayed by name for the souls of family members, neighbours and, co- and co-workers. Then came the economic crash of 1857. It forced thousands of merchants into bankruptcy. Banks failed and railroad companies went under. In New York alone, 30,000 people lost their jobs. In addition to the financial crisis, the nation was gripped by tensions over slavery. Sharp dissension and even civil war loomed on the horizon. Participation at the prayer meetings increased so much that during this period, that by mid-November, two lecture rooms had to be used and both were filled. At the beginning of the following year, the church was so crowded that in an effort to accommodate the increase in numbers, three prayer meetings were held in rooms on different floors in the same building. Many who attended did not profess to be religious, but they came under conviction of sin and began to look for a saving interest in Christ. Soon they started prayer meetings in other church buildings, in downtown New York. In March 58, a noon prayer meeting was started in a theatre. Half an hour before it was announced, it was filled to capacity. Because the majority of the attendees were businessmen, they started prayer meetings in public buildings. Theodore Culver, pastor of 19th Street Church, New York, said he was struck with the earnestness of petitions for the descent of God's spirit on our city churches. The newspaper editor, Horace. Uh, Horatio Greeley, who worked for the New York Tribune, sent a reporter with horse and buggy to ride from one prayer meeting to the next to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings, but he counted more than 6,000 men. According to some eyewitnesses, within six months, these noon prayer meetings were attracting 10,000 businessmen, all of them confessing their sins and praying for revival. A landslide of prayer began. Other US cities followed the same pattern. Soon a common midday sign on business premises would read, we will reopen at the close of the prayer meeting. In cities such as Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches three times per day just to pray. There were 6,000 people in attendance in Pittsburgh. Daily prayer meetings were held in Washington at five different times to accommodate the crowds. The New York Times, in an editorial dated March the 20th, 1858, stated the following about the revival. The great wave of religious excitement which is now sweeping over this nation is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travellers relate in that in cars and steamboats, in banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded Bank directors' rooms become oratories, schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the scores of thousands in this city. We have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We have seen in a business quarter of the city, in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks and working men to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. Similar assemblies we find in other portions of the city. A theatre is turned into a chapel. Churches of all sects are open by day and night. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple, serious way. Many ministers began nightly services. People were converted at times 10,000 Edwin Orr, who writes about it, relates the story of a visiting merchant to New York City. He was selecting goods when noon came. He requested the wholesaler to work through the noon hour so that he could return to his place by the evening riverboat, but the response was, no, I can't help that. I have something to attend that is more of more importance than the selling of goods. I must attend the New Day prayer meeting. It will close at one o'clock and I will fill your order then. They both attended the meeting and the visiting merchant was converted. When he returned to Albany, he immediately started his own noonday prayer meeting. Across America, 20,000 people were baptised every week. The 1857 revival, which here is spoken about in the New York Times and other places, is barely remembered today by secular historians but it was probably the greatest awakening ever experienced in the US. It was estimated that in the period of 1858 to 59, one million people were converted from a population of less than 30 million. God moves through prayer. The Hebridean revival, one of my favourites... Blind Peggy and her arthritic sister, Christine, were too infirm to get to church services. They couldn't go to church. They hadn't a clue about healing, being part of their salvation, nor were they filled with the Holy Spirit. But they knew God and they were passionate for his glory. And so he met with them and honoured their faith in him. He came in such a powerful presence upon the island that sinners fled from their sins at all hours of the day and night, calling on God to save them. On their fishing boats and in the fields, sinners broke down and cried out for mercy before hearing a single word from any preacher. Ministers had to hold up to four church services an evening. Such was the hunger for God. God roused sinners from their beds, others just couldn't sleep and went to their knees. Weavers were struck down in trances and saved at their looms. Farmers tilling the land habitually stopped at midday for two hours of prayer. Most of the people saved in the revival were born again outside any church building. Preachers didn't need to lead them to an altar call for salvation. Instead, they left them to God believing he was the best person to reap their soul. One lad fell to his knees by a pigsty and was born again. Not long after, he was late coming home from the fields and a search party found him face down in the heather, repeating over and over, Oh Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. When he was asked to pray during a particularly stiff service, just three sentences of prayer brought forth the fire of God. And the preacher said more souls were saved through young Donald's prayers than all the preaching of all the preachers in the revival. Pubs closed and never reopened. Crime ceased. The police jail was left unused. And virtually every person on Lewis and Harris Islands was saved during a three-year revival. People came in boatloads. This was no flash-in-the-pan gimmicky fad. There was real fruit, and the fruit lasted. Missionaries who were saved in that awakening served God all over the world. God moves. And though those stories are, in some ways, they're out there, in reality, the people that began them were not many diff- really different from you or I. The difference is this, they were desperate for God. They didn't have necessarily all the right theology. Dr. Cho, who leads, Dr. Yonggi Cho, who used to lead the largest church in the world in South Korea and started this thing called Prayer Mountain, he says this, he believes that prayer is a tool for the spiritual revival of nations. He teaches that prayer brings brokenness, which is a requirement for anyone who desires to be used by God to effect changes in his or her country. Different examples of the power of prayer in revival. It is not our correct theology or our perfect life, but our thirst and passion for God that brings us to pray. And as we pray, God will show us what to do. My desire, my personal desire, is that we, as a church, would grow in a lifestyle of prayer and that we would create a culture of prayer among ourselves, that that's the thing that we do. That our response to the world is not, oh my goodness, look what's going on, or to ignore the problem, but to pray, to come together, to pray. What was interesting about my meeting on Thursday with all those church leaders from all over uh, London and and all those different things was everyone was desperate, but, but they couldn't work out how to do it together. And I was like, actually, you don't need to do it together. You just need to encourage one another that you're praying and that with your group, with your people, you're praying. I would love us to create a culture of prayer. What should we be praying for? Well, one example for me is the kind of prayer that, that Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah chapter 1. So, Nehemiah, um, uh, who, who it sort of, I suppose, he comes after the, the exile. He is in exile, actually, when he hears a report to say that Jerusalem is basically in ruins and, and, and the, the, building, the rebuilding of the temple is completely stopped. And it devastates him, it absolutely devastates him. So he comes to God and he begins to pray. I'm just going to walk through how he prayed and then we're going to pray. The first thing he does is he acknowledges God. Oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. It's always good to remember who God is when you come to him, to put him first, to remind yourself of his greatness, of his goodness. Secondly, he's bold and he asks God to listen. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear my prayer, O God. Do we pray like that? Do we say, God, hear me, listen to me? The next thing is, he's specific. I now pray before you day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants. So you can be very specific. You might say, God, I am praying specifically for my brother right now, for my sister right now, for my classmates right now, for my neighbours right now. I'm asking you to hear my prayers for them. The next thing he does is he repents. He confesses the sins of the people of Israel you've sinned against God and his own sins, it's always good to remind yourself that, you're, that, that you've been saved from sin and not to simply think, oh, you know, I'm not in that anymore. To remind yourself to stand with those who are sinners. Then he reminds God of what God has said. He reminds him of his character. This seems to be a way that lots of people in the Bible pray. Remember the word that you commanded. And he tells him. And then he makes a request. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants. Give success to your servant today. I want us to grow in prayer. I want us to grow in it individually, I want us to grow in it corporately. I want us to recognise that prayer is the key to revival, to change. It's not my efforts. It's not your resourcefulness. It's not how good you are. It's not your personality. But you would come to God and recognise, oh God, I can't do anything about what's going on, but you can. You can. So we're going to pray. As I said, we're going to, We're going to stand and we're going to pray for 15 minutes. Now, 15 minutes is not a long time, really. But when all we're going to do is cry out to God, it's going to appear a long time. But I'm going to encourage you to keep going. I'm going to encourage you to even repeat yourself. It's okay. you can repeat yourself to God. Um, and we'll finish with a song, and I will get Garth to put some music on in the background so we don't feel like when we get a bit tired, we're like, oh my goodness, it's another ten minutes to go. What do I say? But what are you praying for? I'll get Toby to put the Nehemiah prayer up. So that's a kind of a guide. But what are you praying for? You're praying for salvation for your family, your friends, your colleagues, and your neighbours. Yeah? Yeah? And probably, if you named people, you could spend 15 minutes doing that. Just naming your friends and your family. I was, on, I was um, in a meeting on, on Thursday, and the guy, he had met my sister, who used to go to church, doesn't go to church now. She's, she's on my ongoing prayer list, just the daily, regular thing. And he said, I just want to encourage you, I've, I was praying for my sister, and I saw her come through years later. So there are people that you pray for periodically, yeah? You're going to pray for them. Your family, your friends, your colleagues. You just name them. God, I pray that you would meet sometimes I pray. Then we're just going to pray for the area that God has placed us. God, we want to see you move in Brixton like you moved in New York during that prayer revival. We want to see that here. We want to have meetings where people are coming from all over to pray. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if in the schools that we go to there were rooms dedicated to prayer? And that your friends were walking in and they, as they walked in, they were finding Jesus. Not because you'd done anything. You'd done a maybe preparation and you were going to say something and then you saw them on their knees and they're praying. That's the kind of thing that, that you can, oh God, you've done that. You have done that. You can do that again, God. So we're going to pray for our area and then we're going to pray for ourselves. We, we need to have courage and boldness. We need perseverance. We need to keep going. We need to repent. Yeah, there's lots to pray for. It shouldn't fifteen minutes shouldn't go very quickly. It should go very quickly because there is much to pray for. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. We're up for that. Okay. So why don't we stand together? So I'm just asking us all to be crying out, speak out in tongues if you know how to speak out in tongues. Just just cry out. In Korea, this is how they grew the church. Literally, every well, every day, but every week on a Sunday, they would just pray. They would just lift their hands and cry out. They didn't need any much else. That's what they needed. It wasn't necessarily personal prayer, praying for one another. They're just crying out to God because it's the most natural thing for us to do. So, Garth, if you just lift some music, and then why don't we all, let me just pray, and then we'll all just lift our voices. Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you, O God, and we want to recognise that you are the great God. You're, You're the King of kings, Jesus, and you're the Lord of lords, that you reign, that you have moved powerfully in our nation in the past. You have moved powerfully in the nations of the world in the past. And God, we are asking that you would do that again in our day, that you would move, that we would see people saved and added, O God that we would see change in our nation because people have come together to pray. And Father, whilst we pray that many others will do it, we will take this responsibility, this mantle, and we will pray. We will give ourselves to this. We will be among those that really reach out to you. So God, give us strength even in these moments, we ask. So why don't we lift our voices to God? Lift your hands, lift your voices, pray for your neighbours, pray for your friends, pray for your family members. Call out to God for them. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.